Okay, folks, Rick Wagner here, back right with you. Thanks for hanging on with us. I appreciate it, as always. I hope I didn't uh, make people too depressed during the last couple segments, First, especially the last one where we talked a lot about China and how we believe a lot of things about China, things that we've been told over a period of time that are turning out not to be true. Maybe they were true at some point, but they're either not true now or much less true. And so I wanted to highlight that a little bit, and I would encourage you to go take a look at that uh, that article that I have posted up there about five myths about China and why they can get us killed. Very good foreign policy uh, argument, uh, rather, information. Uh, and you can get that on our website at uh, Rick w- the Rick- therickwagnershow.com or politicalviking.com. It takes you to the same place. And uh, I encourage you to take a look at that. Or if you find it someplace on uh, the uh, interwebs out there, feel free to read it. But it's 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 good. It's not very long, considering what it's trying to say. But it just implants some ideas in your head so that when you hear some of this gibberish coming out of that frightened rabbit of a man, Anthony Blinken, about China and things like that, you'll know the truth. And you won't hear just the spin, which is uh, so fast now it almost hurts your ears from the whine. But uh, we're hearing a lot of that. It's interesting how weakness in its various forms precipitates war. And we see that now. We have an incredibly weak president. We have weak leadership in the military. We have weak foreign policy at the State Department. Nothing new there. And we have uh, frightened, cringing diplomats that uh, best strike out at those who have their back turned to them. I know I sound a little bit over overwrought there, but it does seem that way. They also don't understand consequences. They don't understand the realities of conflict. So they're much more anxious because they're afraid to uh, push people into conflict. Remember, people who don't understand conflict or who are of themselves frightened all of the time are much more likely to push things to a bad conclusion. Right? So... We don't want to uh, let these guys continue on this direction. Uh, we're going to see that in the Ukraine here soon. We're watching a, a slow-motion implosion there. Of uh, I have to say, there is something that uh, Vladimir Putin and the Republican Party have in common, and that is they do have an ability to take a situation and turn it upside down pretty fast. Uh, Vladimir Putin made some mistakes in the early days out there in terms of his armored assault and his attempt to sort of uh, recapture the tactics that were employed uh, in 1939 in Poland, uh, which successfully by the Wehrmacht, actually. Uh, and he, however, didn't seem to understand that uh, mobile artillery and armor is, as we've said here before, it's simply modern cavalry. That's all it is. And like all cavalry... If it's not moving, it's incredibly vulnerable. And when it's stationary, and if it's stationary for long, it will be decimated. This is what happened to him. And that's why his whole thrust into the Ukraine was stopped, because his supply line stretched too far, logistical support wasn't there, the columns ground to a halt or slowed down, and allowed everybody and their brother to take pot shots at the armor and the uh, heavy field artillery, and then we started sending them things, which I'm glad we did. Shoulder-mounted missiles, anti-tank missiles, things of that nature. Some of you may remember back in like the late 70s, early the tow, the tow missiles. Yeah, <laughs> that was really the first 
uh, guided shoulder-mounted uh, anti-tank. I mean, you still see the what appear to be like heavy rocket-propelled grenades and so forth. But remember, the tow missiles uh, had a wire. <laughs> That's how far we've come. That when you fired them over a much shorter distance, obviously, there was a copper wire that went with them that allowed them to be steered slightly by the person firing them. Ours are much more sophisticated. And so when their tanks and field artillery are sitting still uh, or moving very slowly in spurts, and now they've managed to grind themselves down, we have managed to equip the Ukrainians at an enormous expense to the United States. Don't think that the amount of money we haven't spent in the Ukraine is not affecting you. Of course it is. That money that's being sent to them has to be backfilled somehow. Where do you think it comes from? Like it's borrowed or it gets printed. What happens to your money when that kind of dollars are inserted into an economy here or anywhere, really, when all those extra dollars are out there? Well, your money you have becomes worth less. So don't think the money that's been sent to the Ukraine doesn't affect what's happening in the United States in terms of our economy. Of course it does. It's money in one form or another. Something that goes through a computer or uh, is carried in a big sack someplace is still money. And this has happened. Think about this. We probably, I haven't added it all together. It's probably 65 to 70 billion, more than that. I'm certain. I'm probably low into the Ukraine so far, just in direct aid and military equipment. A lot of it, money, which we have no idea where it went to, as I keep complaining about. Uh, although Hunter seems to have plenty of things to do and money to spend. There's a connection there. Anyway. So we have that. And then, of course, we just dumped $80 billion worth of equipment. Uh, and a fair amount of money, regular old money that was in Afghanistan gone. So it's been an expensive year and a half for the United States of America. Now, that would be troubling, but observational, except you're an American. And if you're an American, that's your money, your economy, your pocket. And it's just been frittered away. But what we've been doing in Ukraine, of course, is sending more... Uh, increasingly sophisticated weaponry to them. Added into, we are supplying them with very sophisticated, to use that word again, intelligence, much of which comes from our our high-tech level satellite imaging systems and so forth. Something that they don't have access to at all. And the Russians are not as well-equipped as us. We don't know how much the Chinese are supplying to them because they're pretty well-equipped. But nevertheless... So they're essentially a proxy war, and they have now approached the point where they are almost an American expeditionary force. They just happen to Ukrainian people. Our weapons, our money, to some extent our tactics, and our intelligence. Of course, the Russians aren't crazy about that, and they're not fooled that we're behind it. And that can be all fine and good, however you feel about it. I don't like Putin. I'd like to see him gone. I'm not particularly crazy about the Russian Federation. I'd like to see it change. However, I do know that we know absolutely nothing. This is an important part of knowledge, is to know that you don't know. We know absolutely nothing about what happened if Putin just dropped off the face of the earth tomorrow. Who would take his place? A couple of the people they float they think would take his place are worse than him. They're much more hardcore folks, not only hardcore in terms of foreign policy, but what they think ought to happen in uh, Soviet Feder- rather, the Russian Federation. They would turn it into a Soviet-style state probably a little faster, a little more reversion. And Putin thinks that it's more important to keep money flowing in, which, of course, it is. But uh, there are some that would be even more of the boot on the neck of the Russian people and more aggressive with the outside world than even Putin. And those people could easily step into it. We have no idea what happens in there. 
the Russian leadership and the way people get changed in it are a black box to us, no matter what they try and tell you. It is. And so it's a gamble when that happens. Frustrating them, stopping them, containing them. This was Reagan's approach, and it worked. It collapsed them. And containment is fine. Uh, having a proxy war with your most sophisticated weapons, uh, then eventually invading Russia, which is what the Ukrainians are on the verge of doing in a few places to try and break in and get the supply depots and things. Uh, that's a different thing altogether. Sinking the Black Sea Fleet with our harpoon missiles. Eh, you know, I, I don't know where that leads. I honestly don't. And you can listen to all the military pundits out there in the world talking about how this will... They don't have any idea. Because it's a decision that is a personal one to the individuals in charge of their military. And that can mean anything. Uh, it doesn't mean if it's a smart tactical decision, uh, a stupid one. I mean, we don't know. So we can determine that we're doing things they don't like. And we're also doing things that are not wise, at least in terms of common military judgment. For instance, if you're fighting a proxy war, one of the things you're not supposed to do is send your first-line weapons into it, partly because they're very expensive, usually have a limited amount of them. Remember, the military right now is short of ammunition in the United States. They're certainly going to be short of fuel if we ever had to do anything, because Joe Biden is now half of the petroleum reserve has been pumped out by Joe to try and lower gas prices to save his election. It's not going to work, but it's going to hurt us. And if we do refill it, most of that was filled back up by Trump at about 25 to $27 a gallon, I mean a gallon, a barrel, and it's going to be replaced at probably 85 to 90 or more dollars a gallon if we do replace it at all. So that's the price of Joe trying to stay uh, in power in some way. But uh, as we've seen, we are going to be crippled uh, to some extent if we had to have any kind of even moderate military action someplace. We just, we've just drained ourselves down to throw money wildly and without really any thought into the Ukrainians. And we're going to have to see what happens. I, I don't know what happens there. Everybody's uh, yelping around on the left that, oh, Putin's going down. Well, maybe. I mean, who knows? We can't say what happens. I mean, people have dropped off the leadership uh, in the old Soviet Union, and we were not even sure why. <laughs> Khrushchev, you know, for instance. People like, people disappeared in some of that stuff. So, I mean, there could be changes there, and we're not exactly sure what's going on. It's not a transparent system for us. And so uh, be careful what you ask for, because you might be asking for something that ends up th that uh, is worse than what you started with. But so it's it is causing inflationary pressure here, if nothing else. And uh, we are weakening ourselves and we're also showing ourselves to be uh, divided, confused uh, and sad uh, nation right now to the outside. The Chinese are, are watching us so carefully. That's why I, I mentioned them in the second segment so much was uh, if you read some of the stuff that comes out of there and some of the people that really know, like Gordon Chang's work and things like that on what China's doing. They're watching very carefully, and, and they they pat themselves on the back. And I guess they deserve it, that they observe our media very carefully. And they just love what they hear out of our media. They see it as, as undermining to our nation. They see it as creating wedge points that they can operate in. 
to try and keep people from being solidified in purpose. And you know that no nation goes very far in standing up to anybody if it's not solidified in purpose in some way. So they're constantly leveraging that stuff. And it's easy. (laughs) We have to work like the devil just to guess what's going on in China. And all they have to do is, you know, get a satellite dish and subscribe to the digital version of the New York Times to see uh, what they need to do to undermine the country. And that's not healthy. And the other thing is, by their observation being so acute right now, is when you fight proxy wars, the reason you don't want to use your best weaponry, and now we're starting to try to import that into the Ukrainians now, is because you don't want your real enemies to take a look at it, to analyze, to see how it's used, to see its strength, to see its weakness, to see it used in battle. You would prefer that the first time they see your best weapons is when they're seeing them coming at them, if you had to. Not let them examine them used by someone else, particularly not particularly well, and lose half of them so they can take them apart and re-engineer them and see what defenses work best against them. That's what's happening right now. We are allowing the Chinese, and some extent the Russians, and anybody else that's mad at us, to see how some of our more sophisticated weapons are working and what how what they do well and what they don't do well. That's not a good thing. That's why we don't usually do that. But these pinheads in the State Department don't understand any of that and are constantly, you know, chasing uh, the idea that we should send everything that we possibly have, no matter how sophisticated and secret, or near secret, I suppose, to this point. I imagine eventually we'll be sending, you know, B-21 stealth bombers over there that we're just developing. I'm being facetious. At least I hope I am. And the military leaders, like you see, the Pentagon officials, I mean, look at Lloyd Austin. You know, remember Lloyd Austin with the with the big visor and mask and strolling around like like a uh, mentally challenged Darth Vader all over the place? Yeah, that's the guy that's taking these decisions. You feel good about that? Yeah, no. He doesn't seem to have a grasp of anything, and he doesn't have any will of his own that we've been able to ascertain beyond what someone else tells him who doesn't know anything about the Pentagon. So what good is he exactly? And we've seen some of the others. I, you know, anymore, if you're a brigadier or above in the military right now, you're automatically suspect of being incompetent. I don't think that's true. I think there's plenty of good ones out there, but we just don't see them. So they're not raising a fuss about this. Because if you raise a fuss to say, stop sending our sophisticated weapon systems to the Ukraine for everybody to see how they operate, get a hold of them and see what the defenses are against them, then they're going to get rid of you. So they shut up. I never really seen anything like it. So just being aware of that, folks, I'm not, I, I don't want it to be depressing because there is things to do about it. And I think we're going to do a lot about it this November. And, uh, but it just underlines why it's so important to do it. We've been told for, I, I've been saying on the radio, I don't know how many years, at least, at least probably 10 to 12 years that every election is super important, more important than usual. And it's all been true. And, we have managed to forestall some of these things, but they've made gains each time. Right. And now we're at that inflection point where they have to be thrown back off the walls. We're sort of in under siege in a medieval city. And we have a lot going for us. And, you know, the defenders actually have the high ground most of the time. It doesn't feel like it because of the ones getting, you know, rocks thrown over the wall at them. But they do. But we're at that point. They're making their final assault on the walls of our America, and we have to repulse them. And 
they have to take casualties in the form of losing elections. Lots of elections everywhere. And that's another point I want to bring up here this week. When I bring up a lot, but every election at every level, drainage board members, city council people, vastly more important than you think. And if you think about it, uh, they, we kind of blow that off. So incredibly important. Look what the city councils are doing in these cities. That can come to your town, folks. Believe me, I see leftists in towns that are very conservative, and they don't have any really conservative people that run around for city council because they're not that interested in government. They're interested in business and the things they're doing. The people that are interested in government are all the folks that are listening to Rashid Tlaib and AOC and the love their ideas, and we should be more like California. Those are the ones that run for city councils and school boards. And they get on there, and they do all sorts of stuff that does not reflect the community's values, and the community isn't even aware of it until they're studying, why don't I have any money? Why can't I get a permit to build a house that that can have uh, natural gas in it? What do you mean we outlawed natural gas? You know, that's being done places. You can't have natural gas stoves in some places, in, uh, not in Colorado or many of the places we're talking to, but in other places in the country, they're working towards that. All electricity, which is a terribly expensive and inefficient way to heat anything. They don't want you to have, they don't want you to have gas stoves in some of these places or gas fireplaces. Uh, the, most of that is locally imposed stuff. And so they not only have to lose the elections we see in Congress and the Senate and obviously some gubernatorial races, they need to lose elections all across the board, like with Obama. That's what slowed them down. County commissioners, city councils, you know, secretaries of state, they, they got massacred and it stopped them for a while. Has to be that or more and it has to continue. So, Many of you live places like where I live where there are off-year elections for those things, school boards and city councils. They love off-year elections. Why? Well, because first, they try and make them nonpartisan. Nonpartisan elections are extremely popular in areas that are conservative because you don't know who's running, and a lot of conservatives don't run for those jobs for the reasons I mentioned earlier. Secondly, if you have an off-year election, and participation isn't that high from the general public. So you can turn out your base. By that means in a school board election, the union can turn their people out. And as a percentage of the vote, if you think about it, less regular folks vote in that off-year election, which means that this solid core of union people that they can turn out is going to be a lot more important. They love to turn their base out in those things. Same thing with city council races where the libs will come out because they know who their per candidate is. And their vote becomes more important because there's less people voting. Yeah, we have one person, one vote. But if most of the time you have 10 people voting and five of them are, well, let's say, let's say seven of them are conservative and three of them are liberal, that's that. If you have the next election where you have six people voting and four of them are liberal or three of them are liberal and three of them are conservative, let's just say that changes the dynamic a lot, doesn't it? Even with, even if it's almost the same uh, ratio, afterwards, but the ratio before changed. I didn't explain that very well. But you know what I mean. If you have a smaller amount and you can still turn out your base, you get in there. That's why they love off your elections. And we're going to have them in a lot of places, in Colorado and surrounding states. If you're listening out there in podcasts or on the Internet or other things, and states do the same thing. Don't be fooled. That's why they have them that way. They don't want you to know what's happening. They don't want you to be fired up politically in, you know, the off year in 2023, right? 
they think you're not going to be whipped into a frenzy because it's not a national election of some sort. And because of that, they want to run their candidates. They, it's a, they're stealth candidates. They're going to get in under the radar. And that's going to be something that has to be watched. It has to be prevented. What we can do is maintain our focus. Sounds easy, of course. It's not. You have other things to do. And the media will not help you. The media has found that the best tactic is to not to tell you things. In Colorado, our legislature for the last two years especially has run amok with changes, most of which nobody hears much about until they've been passed into law. I hear about them a little bit, and by the time I track them down, the governor's got them on his desk. We talk about them here, and I hear from you folks who are justifiably outraged what we can do about it. Well, it's law now. It's a very good tactic. I know I've mentioned it many times. It's a great tactic. Don't tell you. You're just going to get upset and go lobby and maybe you know scare away some of the uh, Democrats that are in your legislature that are on the fence. Better just let it go. Better to say, oh, well, it's done now. Oops. So we've got to figure out some way to get the word out about what's happening. And in the short term, you've got to have to try and figure out some of these places uh, that you can go to and find information. We're going to keep looking at them and see if we can't get some local page someplace that's going to carry information about local elections and local legislation in various states. You've got to have that. You have to have that now because the media will not help you. I mean, it's like the stuff we see now that we think that, oh, my gosh, everybody's going to be upset about this. No, they won't. If you look outside of the our, our news sources like Fox and Breitbart, things like that, who, by the way, carry most news that is true, you won't see much of any of that out there. Anyway, keep a stiff upper lip. We're going to win. See you next week.